Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, several organizations are calling out a new voting bill as restrictive. Senate Bill 221 has already passed a Republican-led committee hearing with some last-minute changes that would, among other provisions, prevent or could take away absentee ballot drop boxes and could make it easier to challenge and disqualify an unlimited number of votes. And there are other measures, too. In just a moment, I'll speak with ACLU of Georgia Executive Director Andrea Young. Also, as more details are coming to light after the fatal car crash accident in Athens, Georgia, just hours after the Georgia Bulldogs celebrated their second straight national championship, now there has been some other new developments. We'll talk all about that. And later on Closer Look. We don't get to see a lot of that. We do get to see a lot of black trauma and Mm -hmm. and things like that, I think, is more focused. Um, Those kind of stories are more focused on. And I wanted to have something lighter and that is still really important. Writer Jamila Rouser and illustrator Robin Smith use Kickstarter to fund the publication of their graphic novel, Wash Day Diaries. Well, now it's up for a few awards and has already nabbed one honor, an Alex Award. We'll revisit the conversation with them in just a moment. All that's just ahead, but first, a check of these headlines. Georgia U.S. Senator John Ossoff is pressing U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to implement the Prison Camera Reform Act that was signed into law last year. It would require the Federal Bureau of Prisons to submit a plan to strengthen security. WABE's Shemaine Cruz has more on the senator's ask. Garland says the agency is on track to present a plan to Congress next month for upgrading outdated security camera systems and broken surveillance cameras. It comes after Ossoff led a Senate investigation that found failing and inadequate security cameras allowed rampant staff sexual abuse, inmate escapes, and high-profile deaths in prisons and jails in Georgia and across the country. It's a necessary condition of demonstrating that the department's taking this seriously, that this deadline be met, and that we move forward expeditiously to strengthen these security systems. Upgrades are required within three years, and the agency must submit annual progress reports to lawmakers. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. Here in Georgia, state lawmakers are advancing a bipartisan House bill to increase access to the state's Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, often referred to as TANF. It gives extremely low-income households a modest amount of cash assistance each month. Now, the bill would raise families' asset limits and the lengths of time they can receive help. Republican Representative Tyler Paul Smith is sponsoring it. He says the current limits make it harder for poor households to get ahead. In order to not run afoul of being excluded from our TANF program, they had to sell their car just to buy diapers for their children. When our people are forced to make those sort of decisions, something's wrong with the system and we got to fix it. Two Democrats and four Republicans are backing the proposal. A bill that would have prevented teachers, camp counselors, coaches, and other adults from talking with young folks about sexuality or gender identity looks to be dead for now. Senate Bill 88 was tabled at a hearing yesterday just before a crucial deadline to move the legislation forward, as we hear from WABE's Sam Greenglass. SB 88 quickly drew comparisons to Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay legislation. That law prohibits K-3 classroom instruction on sexual education or gender identity. Cyril McRae is a first year at Georgia State. McRae joined dozens of students opposing the bill. Love and acceptance is so important for a student's growth. We know that LGBTQ students already have high suicide rates, and if I wasn't even able to talk to my teachers or my counselors about these issues, that would have just pushed me further into a bad mental state. 
The bill was tabled after the Georgia Baptist Mission spoke against the revised version, which had been watered down. And one Republican senator raised concerns about provisions for private schools. Facing a deadline to move bills to the floor before crossover day, SB 88 is all but toast this year. But bill text can always be inserted into other legislation, so nothing's ever really dead. SB 88 is one of many bills targeting trans kids. These bills have been introduced in Georgia and in Republican-led legislatures around the country. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. And now an update regarding legislation to help push the efforts for the city of Buckhead through. A vote is expected to take place in the full Senate today. WABE News will have any updates during All Things Considered later today, hosted by Jim Burrs. Now, as mentioned, Senate Bill 221 is just one of a few measures already passed. Uh, that Well, this one has already passed a Republican-led committee with some last-minute changes. Among them, they could take away dr- ballot drop boxes across the state and could make it easier to challenge and disqualify an unlimited number of votes. Well, several organizations are calling this bill restrictive. Let's talk to one now. Joining me Joining the program now is Andrea Young, Executive Director with the ACLU of Georgia. Director Young, welcome. Uh, good to talk to you, Rose. Sorry about the topic. Well, there are some measures. We'll get to the specifics in just a moment. But first, I just want to get your thoughts on this because here we go again. And after all the controversy with Senate Bill 202 from a few mm-hmm. years ago, state lawmakers are again, and this is along party lines, grappling mm-hmm. over more voting legislation. Just your thoughts on here we go again. It, it, you're exactly right, uh, Rose. You know, in 2020, we had a clean election. Five million Georgians were able to vote. Uh, and the response of the of the Georgia legislature has been to keep coming back every year to make it more and more difficult to vote. The only conclusion is that they're trying to control the outcome by changing the rules. Um, because there has never been any Uh, demonstrated uh, problem with our elections that had an impact on the result. We've had FBI audits, you know, we've had litigation, we've had all kinds of uh, examination, multiple recounts. So 2020 was a clean, a fair election. Uh, It was incredibly um, democratic because people from all across our state, largest voter participation we've ever had. Uh, And the response of the legislature is to create rules that make it more difficult for people to vote. And you know who's affected, Rose. It's it's the working class. It's poor people. It's students, um, you know, are who are really affected by this. And also you all have been been very vocal about some particular counties as well. I want to get to House Bill 422, this is taking place in Ware County. You all have called this a power grab and an attack on our democracy, close quote. Have you been able to speak to anyone in the General Assembly about this this bill? We have been, um, you know, working. Of course, we talk to everybody, Rose, on on all sides of an issue. But this has been another very disturbing pattern where we had a tradition in Georgia, if a local delegation, uh, you know, had a bill, then it, it just goes straight to the floor, doesn't even have hearings. And so they've been repeatedly using local delegations uh, where there was a, you know, what a Republican majority uh, to then change the rules around the boards of election. These have always served to remove black members from the boards of election where county is the latest and let's for our listeners who may not be aware it, we know that this was along party lines to the georgia georgia house voting to replace the five person where county elections board which has three black members correct mm-hmm. yes and they have done this in spalding uh they've done this in morgan county but here's the thing when gwinnett when the Gwinnett delegation wanted to make some changes in their board, um, this was not approved. And so Democrat-led counties are not given the, you know, it's not fair. They don't treat the delegations of Democrat-led counties the way that they treat the delegations of Republican-led counties. And we also know, uh, Rose, that some of these counties have Republican delegations because of gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. They'll take a county like 
Athens and divided among three uh, three seats. So, you know, a Democratic county is has a delegation that's all conservative Republicans. So they're 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 gaming the system to change the outcome. You there there's just you just don't see that there is a fair application of the rules where the you know at the ACLU we believe you set the rules everybody plays by the same rules. Let's back up then because if and we imagine if this all this these measures go through you are going are going to to file a challenge here but from a constitutional amendment challenge do you have something of merit to stand on that you would hope the courts would intervene? You know, I think the 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 practice that we can see, you know, we do still for now have a Voting Rights Act. The practice that we see is that these measures overwhelmingly serve to remove black members from these boards of elections. Um, and, you know, we also had this tradition in Georgia where you know, you had dem- these these boards of elections were bipartisan. Mm-hmm. You had Democratic members, you had Republican members. Surprisingly, not well, not surprisingly, in Fulton and DeKalb and Gwinnett, the 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 boards of elections continue to be bipartisan. Um, but these actions serve to remove um, the black members. They will often say, "Well, it's because they're Democrats." Uh, but the but the fact remains that it is undermining the ability of black Georgians um, to have their interests represented in, in in the election system. And this was one of this, you know, this was one of the the points of security. You know, if these boards of elections are done in a, a bipartisan way, that helps people have faith in the system. You know, these are just regular folks who who want to do the right thing in their communities uh and 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 politicizing these boards now uh is just very um uh you know it's just very difficult those are the people who decide then that goes to the challenge issue these are the people who decide on the merits of a challenge Mm. And I, I spoke to several, and I think I had the conversation also with Georgia Secretary, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger about with the, ch- the challenge there because it's a lot of time. It's a, and some call yes. it a wasted time. Local yes. elections departments are already tasked with making sure they can run a fair and, and, and easily process for folks to vote. But now you have yes. this, this mandate where, or this provision where folks can just challenge that's an extra added strain on regardless of the what political party controls the county that's an extra added yeah. strain on these election departments absolutely it 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 is uh it burdens the departments and let's be clear we have complained the secretary of state purges plenty they do you know review these uh they have a system for cleaning up these lists we a, a system that we think is too aggressive so it's not as if Georgia uh, has not does not have a Secretary of State's office that routinely reviews these voter lists. You know, they of course have far more sophisticated information than just you know a post office change of address, which is what these um, you know volunteers use. Um, and so you know the the lists are already very aggressively policed by the Secretary of State. I want to go over a few of these provisions with Senate Bill 221 and, of course, one that it's been getting the headlines, and that would be, and I'm quoting here, to deauthorize the use of absentee ballot drop boxes. How concerning is that for you all? Well, it's very concerning. You know, they have, as I said, they have ratcheted back um, the utility of voting by mail, you know, they shortened the, in, in SB 220, they shortened the time. Um, they, they took the drop boxes, which were outside of libraries. In fact, Governor Kemp himself voted in an outdoor drop box in 2020. Uh, they moved the drop boxes inside the polling place. So these drop boxes are monitored by election officials. They are inside a polling place. So there's no reason, there's no security issue about them. But then they also want to possibly add a live streaming surveillance camera sort of deal so anyone can watch who's coming to. This is a lot here, Director Young. Well, and most of them were already, you know, I voted at the Auburn Avenue 
the Auburn Avenue box out in front of the library had a camera on it. You know, it had a, many of them already had security cameras. One of the other provisions that's also getting a little bit of traction here in terms of the news, it's it would it would mandate this bill audits following all statewide primaries or elections to provide for electronic document inspection upon certification of election results. It's a lot here. It's just, you know, it is just overburdening a system. Again, all of these things have no basis in reality. They cannot point to one reason for making these changes. The system worked beautifully in 2020, even with a pandemic, you know, and it was through the, 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 the wonderful efforts of our citizens who work on the Board of Elections, who work as poll workers, you know, who do the effort to make our democracy work. So they can't point to any reason for doing this. Uh, they are trying to make it more difficult for people to vote so that only the more, you know, we're so that we're back to a situation where only, you know, white home, white property owners have the luxury of being able to cast a ballot. The courts have not necessarily been on the side of folks like you and, 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 uh, and opponents of some of these measures, particularly with Senate Bill 202. Again, if it's going to come to a constitutional challenge, I want to give you an opportunity to be clear so our listeners understand what will be the grounds that you all would want to challenge on. Is this Absolutely. a violation of the Voting Rights Act? What's, are, what's left are, of the Voting Rights Act? What's left of the, we still have, you know, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. We are in federal court now uh, on the provisions of SB 202, um, you know, as a, you know, as uh, violating the Voting Rights Act. And, you know, we will continue to pursue this, you know, at the same time, you know, everyone, you know, has to um, don't let you know, that they have to go ahead and exercise their right to vote. We still do have a right to vote. Um, the, the legislature continues to make it more difficult for no good reason, except that they're trying to control the outcome. How optimistic are you that perhaps Secretary of State George Raff, uh, Brad Raffensperger would be more vocal about his op opposition to some of these measures here? You know, I mean, I, obviously we have seen um, Raffensperger, you know, speak up um, at, at important times. And, you know, we certainly would hope that he would protect, uh, you know, the workable, you know, protect a workable system mm -hmm. of uh, of elections. Um, but, you know, we're we're kind of in we're in a situation we're in, in this sort of situation where norms are in free fall, they're being violated um, and people are doing what they have the power to do. And, you know, it's very distressing and uh, it's very distressing to see this, um, to see this happening. Crossover day is Monday. We shall see Andrea Young is ex executive director of the ACLU of Georgia. Thank you for taking the time. As always, we really appreciate it. We did reach out to some of re the Republican state lawmakers. Nobody responded to our request for interview. Just want folks to know that. Great. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for covering these important issues. You're listening to Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. There are major developments now regarding that deadly crash that killed a University of Georgia football player and team staffer. Offensive lineman Devin Willock and UGA recruiting analyst Chandler LaCroix were killed hours after UGA held its national championship football parade and celebrations. Tory Bowles, 26, and offensive lineman Warren McClendon, 21, were also injured. 
Now, authorities in athens Clark County say UGA recruiting analyst Chandler LaCroix was street racing and also had a blood alcohol level that was twice the legal limit. They also allege LaCroix was allegedly driving 104 miles per hour and, and again, possibly street racing against, now we, we are understanding, UGA defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Carter is a top NFL draft prospect. He was actually pulled from media interviews this week at the NFL Combine. After it was announced, police were charging him with street racing and reckless driving. Still a lot of questions as the investigation continues, but there could be other possible legal ramifications. Joining me now to offer some legal insight, former U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Georgia, Attorney Michael Moore, who again is not associated with this investigation or case. Attorney Moore, thanks for taking the time. Happy to be with you. Thanks for having me on. There's so much we know, so much that we don't know. And then again, it could be that what we know is not even true. But in a situation like this, where, first of all, tragedy, two people uh, are dead. It's a, it's a university involved. It's a high-profile football program. A lot of our optics are here. Uh, and for folks who are just waiting for more information from a legal standpoint, is it just we have to wait and see what eventually comes out of all of this? Well, I'm glad to be with you, and I I do think we have to wait for more information to come out. We've seen even over the last 12 to 18 hours, as information has come out about some additional charges uh, in the case, that um, that information is unfolding. And and we know now that those charges, that being the the, uh, reckless driving and the racing charge, that that, those could be placeholder charges. So, for instance, we don't know if the district attorney will look at this case, if there's some evidence that somehow the cars may have touched each other at some point and that caused the one car to lose control and uh, not be able to navigate the turn. We just don't know that yet. And I think there's been some some uh, discussion about you know the possibility that the DA could look at that. Interesting that you bring that up because someone listening says, well, what do you mean, Mr. Moore, that the DA may not look at this further? Why wouldn't they? Can you think well, of any I reason? Yeah, so in Georgia, we have, in most counties of any size, you have a solicitor's office and a district attorney's office. And the solicitor typically looks at things like misdemeanor charges, traffic violations, things that we see, reckless driving, racing charges. Those are things that the solicitor handles. The district attorney may be doing a deeper investigation into sort of the, 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 what I would call more of a reconstruction into the accident, uh, what happened. Uh, were there other people involved? I mean, we know now that the, it, it seems, at least from the reporting, that, that alcohol may be a factor in the race, uh, in the collision. And so that's um, those are things that, that a prosecutor may look at. And it can take sometimes uh, a little bit of time to get all it in. You may have accident reconstruction uh, projects going on to, to find out are there skid marks back half a mile up the road or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't know. It, it looks like this may be the only charges that, that come out thus far, but, mm-hmm. but again, that we may also be waiting on reports. And this was a way, at least, to go ahead and, uh, you know, publicly address uh, causes in the wreck and other people who may have been involved without knowing the full extent thus far. I want to, for a moment, focus on Jalen Carter because right now charged with misdemeanors, but if it is indeed proven that he left the scene, as it is alleged. That's a misdemeanor, too. I, I mean, I know a lot these, of folks are listening saying yeah. they just don't understand this. Well, and and these can be misdemeanor charges, uh, depending on what happened. You know, pretty much if you introduce alcohol into a situation and there's a, a death with a traffic wreck, and that's what we have in the, the other car, it appears, at least from the reporting, mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing, and that, that becomes a felony. If you have things like speeding and reckless driving, those are typically misdemeanor charges. Uh, racing can be a misdemeanor charge if it's a, if it's under the new racing Georgia's new racing statute mm-hmm. the penalty at least and that typically deals more with like stunt racing mm-hmm. uh, drag racing those things that we've seen sometimes more in maybe the, the metro area than others that you know that that can have some mandatory like 10 days of jail but it's still a misdemeanor but some states and correct me if I'm wrong have it on the books that if you are involved in any type of street racing and a death occurs, that there could be possible charges for you because you were participating in that. And I, I think I could be wrong because we actually did something on this in California. But, but I think some states have different measures here. Well, and again, some of that will depend on what the, the reconstruction shows. So if it shows that you're involved in street racing and there was something that happened with your vehicle that may have, have caused the death or that there was something that, yes, 
the fact that they may have been racing. I mean, that's maybe what the DA is looking at. But you, you also have you have two things going on. You have the, the idea of criminal charges. At least we know now there are a couple that have been levied. But you also have the, the, the question of civil liability mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, that that causes somebody else to be responsible for participation or or, or, or helping cause the death in, in a case like this. And so the, all these things will be looked at. But, you know, sort of to your initial point, which I think is, is wise and, and, and a well-placed question, and that is information is still coming out mm-hmm. and we're not we're not privy to all of it. But as, as we're learning more and more, we're getting a bigger picture and starting to fill in some of the, the, the edges of the picture, at least, about what happened uh, in, in the wreck. Could there be any legal ramifications here for UGA? This happened off campus, obviously, but it was a staffer who was driving. Now, the UGA officials have said that Shannon LaCroix was not authorized to be driving this vehicle at this time of night. Right now, could there be any other accountability from a legal standpoint for UGA for the deaths of of Mr. Willock? Although we, I, th- I believe his family said they don't plan to sue, but you know things change. Well, and, and I I think there's there's still an open question, and and I think the university has is attempted to distance itself from uh, from any liability, civil liability that is in 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 the accident, and I. Uh, and I, you know, I think a lawyer would do that uh, for for their client, of course. But at the same time, if this became a situation where it, it was the common practice to allow UGA employees to operate these vehicles for non-authorized persons, if, if for instance, you had a situation and maybe a review of emails or something mm-hmm. uncovered where uh, supervisors were asking UGA employees to do things for them, like run errands, and and they were to use these these university cars, and it, and it was sort of known. The, that the cars were not being used uh, in, in, the, in the purpose that was typically authorized mm-hmm. and that the university system knew about that. That can, I think, uh, raise, some, raise some questions on whether or not in this instance, the idea that the car was not authorized for this use, if that was true or if it should knew, if the UGA, uh, University of Georgia knew or should have known that, that cars were being used by staffers in, in a manner for, for that and for purposes other than just recruiting efforts as they, they've indicated. Might it be possible that a family, a family member, for families from one of these folks who tragically lost their lives, might want a different investigation? It's right now. It is, it is a county investigation, but we know that and there have been reports of of an alleged sort of fixer person that came to the scene. You know, it's like something you see in a movie. Um, but could it be that a, an outside entity would want to come in and investigate this just for the sake of transparency? Yeah. I, um, yes. I don't know necessarily that I would call it a, a public outside entity. And, this, and, and frankly, that's a lot of what happens if there were a civil case or a civil investigation is that the lawyer that was representing the family would begin an internal investigation of their own by asking for documents, by looking at. And, and, and certainly if, you, if there is a lawsuit filed, you, you would be entitled to receive communications that were made and, and log books and record books and you could uncover what practices were done in the past mm-hmm. and those types of things. And so you effectively could do a, your own investigation uh, to then compare with with the findings in the in, in the university. I, there, there won't be an outside group like, you know, in whatever name you want to call the group mm-hmm. that just shows up to do some investigation of this. But if if, in fact, there's a family member, uh, a surviving family member or a family member, or maybe the, one of the injured parties, mm-hmm. uh, if they make a decision that they want to look deeper into it, uh, then that's something that they they would have the ability to do that, uh, it, you know, through the legal process. And there, there's there are methods to do it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it happens every day in every state of the union, as, mm-hmm. as uh, you know, as we look at it. And so this this. Um, Simply having having a party who may have some exposure say, "Well, we've checked everything and everything's fine. We didn't do anything wrong." That's not that that doesn't end the story, mm-hmm. uh, unless those people who were actually injured or lost lovers decide that they're satisfied with that explanation. And, and, and look, and I don't, and I do want to say this. I don't. I, by all appearances that I've read, the university has been very supportive and they have been transparent. And so I I don't know that. But if, if the family is satisfied that they that there's been transparency and the, and 
And if I were the university lawyer, I would want to be sitting with them, you know, every day and and saying, this is what we found. Let me show you this, you know, and walking through so that people could have confidence in a decision or understanding our position in a case. Um, well, but if, yeah, I mean, if that's being done, yeah, if that's but, being done, they may be satisfied. Well, one might argue, though, too, Attorney Moore, that even beyond the family, you know, you, you for the community, for the public's sake, you want to make sure that a thorough, a thorough investigation is is taking place as not to pretend again not alleging anything but you want to make sure that the, the, the investigation is transparent that there's no no covering of anyone be look folks love uj football look i rooted mm. for the root the bulldogs too i wanted them to win but right. lives are lost and also you have legacies here too you don't want someone being uh blamed for killing somebody else and they're not here. You want to make sure that if this toxicology report is accurate, that the family, will they get a chance? Do they know that this is accurate? You know, you know what I'm saying? You feel me on this? I, I, yeah, I mean, I understand that you want to have accuracy in the reporting because what, what's important is that people have confidence, again, in the decision or the outcome of the investigation or whatever it is. And there are things that can be done to bolster that confidence. But to, to have somebody come in and say, you know, well, I'm I'm just interested in this, and I want to see, I want to be able to review the uh, the uh, toxicology reports of the driver or whatever. That 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 won't happen. Um, but there is a way. The family, even even her family, doesn't the, have the a family. right to. That, that, okay. No, I'm saying a third party. I'm talking okay. about just a just a okay a football fan somewhere who said, you know, when you well, talk about, we, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm saying they don't they don't have a right to come in and look. I'm at I'm not stuff. saying the University the family, of Florida yeah. would would say, look, so right, if you want to look at right. this, but I'm talking family, about yeah, there's a their families involved here. Yeah, if the families if the families want to pursue it and want to look at it, then they have a way to do that. And and I and and again, I mean. Um, you see this kind of situation sometimes when you have uh, medical malpractice cases or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And when you have a when you have a potential defendant, a hospital, or in this case maybe the university, but when you have a, somebody who maybe a family is upset with because they've lost a loved one, you find that a lot of the the uh, sort of the fear and the the questioning and the uncertainty can be uh, resolved by a by a fulsome and and candid discussion about what happened and what went on. And what we've done to look at the bottom of it, what mm-hmm. we've done to make sure it doesn't happen again, what we've done to, you know, let me show you. And this is, and again, when I talk about explaining a decision, explaining uh, the, the the position of a particular event, then then, then that's, uh, I, I think you can share with people and, and give them confidence in that. And you may have a family member who says, but what about this? Or, or what sure. about that? And that gives you as, as counsel for the potential defendant a chance to look into it and answer that question in a way mm-hmm. that that breeds confidence and does not uh, in, you know invoke further suspicion and I do believe I think and a lot of folks agree with this and then you may too that this perhaps will also change how athletic departments and universities how they the provisions they have in place for who gets to drive what vehicles and to make sure that you know if folks are authorized to drive a vehicle that they're doing it on you know official school yeah. or athletic bit. I mean, there's a lot that will, I think, come out of this in terms of changes. Unfortunately, so. two people have lost their lives and two folks are injured here. So, and Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And I think, too, when we can have honest discussions about uh, uh, alcohol uh, use and maybe excessive alcohol use on college campuses and, and, uh, and whether, you know, uh, events that occur after uh, college-sponsored uh activities. I mean, mm-hmm. these are things that we have to be willing to talk about and to, you know, people talk a lot of times about college where you, that you, this is where you get the lessons of, of learning about adulthood. Well, one of those lessons isn't supposed to be about dying. Right. You know, it's, not, mm. it's not supposed to be about losing a child. Yeah. And so um, we, we've got to have a, we've got to have honest discussion. It's not to suggest that there's not going to be any drinking on, you know, after the event or on the campus, but, but, you know, when you, when uh, Maybe an acknowledgement of that this is an issue we need to talk to our team about, or this is an issue we need to talk to our young people about, or our fraternity members about, sorority members about, whatever it is, um, that we have those discussions about watching out for each other so that people really have the chance to to live a, a, a full life um, and, and take advantage of the preparation they've been getting uh, with, with the school or the organization they've been involved with. All so right. I, 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 it's a tragic situation, and, and I, I, I feel for the, the families that have lost mm. uh, anybody in a circumstance like this. 
former U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia and attorney Michael Moore. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll have you back. Always as, good to be with you. Appreciate it. We'll have you back. Listen to Closer Look. Back in a moment. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Wash Day Diaries. It's a graphic novel telling a lot, telling a story of four black women living in the Bronx. Now, the novel originally was released as a mini comic, and it tells a story of each friend through their wash day. Yes, the hair care ritual during which all outside responsibilities are halted. I know what that's like. The author, Jamila Rouser, and illustrator, Robin Smith, they used Kickstarter as a, a campaign to actually fund the, pump, the fund the publication of Wash Day Diaries. And now, guess what? It's up for a few awards and has already nabbed one honor, an Alex Award, and it's a finalist in the L.A. Times Book Prize. See? Don't give up, folks. You never know. We're going to revisit the conversation with Rouser upon the graphic novel's release. I'm joined now by one half of the team. Jamila, welcome. Thank you, Rose. So excited to be here. I want to begin by saying thank you. This is really, really cool. <laughs> this is really, and, and from, and listen, from that very first page that reads, quote, to the black girls around the world, you are seen, you are beautiful. Take our listeners yes, through how yes. all this came about. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yes, this uh, actually spawned from my first um, comic book, which was, uh, wash day, which is the the first chapter or the first story in Wash Day Diaries, and I've always loved comics. And the thing that I really felt was missing was uh, comics featuring Black women going through their everyday life. You know, we do get the superhero stuff, mm-hmm. and we'll even get slice of life things from uh, you know not marginalized folks. Um, but I just wanted to see something that represented my friends and me, um, and uh, you know, and showing like uh, highlighting our hair, and and mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I really wanted to show is like the the time and care we put into um, our hair, which is something that society deems unprofessional at times, ugly at times, mm-hmm. um, and despite all of that, and in spite all of that, you know, we put a lot of care, and I wanted to show black women that. You know, there is a place for them in comics that I see them um, and just making space for us in the comic book world uh, and honoring them and and our routines. And even though when I have my wash day, I dread it. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you telling? (laughs) It's not as beautiful as it looks in the comic, but, uh, you know, we do have two pages of detangling. So I try to keep it as as authentic as possible. Listen, I have (laughs) I have locks all the way down my back. I'm there. I I get it. Let's take our listeners (laughs) through these four friends. Um, I imagine that there's a little bit. Is there a little bit of you in, in all of these sisters or? There is. It's interesting. Uh, there's a little bit of every I'm in, I'm in a little bit of everybody and my friends are kind of a little bit in everybody as well. Um, and I really wanted to kind of have uh, sisterhood and friendship is huge uh, themes for me and my work. And I really wanted to show not just, you know, the beauty of our hair care routines, but the beauty of friendship and black sisterhood and how we um, can depends on each other and that beautiful interdependence and uh, the different dynamics that our friends um, can have and, you know, how much we love each other. And even through our ups and downs, uh, we may not always get it right, but we always do care. And, um, and so it was really fun to be able to put that, combine that with the hair journey and um, the artist, Robin Smith. Yeah through this journey of us creating, you know, the very first comic, Wash Day, the the 27 page comic back in 2018, we became best friends. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a ton of friendship and love um, that you can really feel in this comic because we ourselves are really good friends. And then um, just the close bond that I have with my other friends, I just wanted readers to feel that, feel like, 
you know, oh, I can relate to this in my group chats and, and my best friends are going to brunch and things like that. So um, we don't we don't get to see a lot of that. We do get to see a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, black trauma and, mm -hmm. and things like that, I think is more focused. Um, those kind of stories are more focused on. And I wanted to um, have something lighter um, and that is still really important. I want to focus on a Robin. Unfortunately, she couldn't join us today. But when you look at when you first saw what she came up with for oh Kim, Nisha, Cookie, and Zadavine, mm -hmm. did you say, okay, she nailed it? Because they all yes. got different different types of hair texture, different mm -hmm. facial features, you know, their backgrounds. How how spot on did Robin do with these? Robin was amazing. I didn't have, um, I didn't give her a lot of um, very specific things about how I wanted the characters' faces to look. I just wanted to have a diverse range of skin tones, hair types, and body types. And so I think she did a really wonderful job in, in creating like hair that actually looks real, you know, as a black woman who reads comics, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of black hair that is just not realistic. It's like, that's not our hair, how our hair lays. That's not how cornrows look. Um, so she, you know, is a wonderful artist. And um, I just, it just blew my, it blows my mind every time I would get a new page from her. It was just such a wonderful feeling. And why the Bronx? The Bronx is my quote-unquote hometown. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's where I spent a lot of my 20s, and, and that's where I spent most of my time with my very close friend group. Uh, I went to school in New York City. My my um, I'm a military brat, so I moved all mm -hmm. over the place. Uh, but my parents are from the Bronx. My family's from the Bronx. And so that is my, like, that's what I rep, although I am in hot Miami right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, Brooklyn gets a lot of shine. Uh, but, you know, I think thanks to like Cardi B and stuff, the Bronx mm -hmm. gets more, um, is getting more shine. And so the city is a part of, is kind of a character in itself as well. And I wanted to show, you know, the specific stuff that you can get in the Bronx or the experiences you can get going to the bodega and mm -hmm. the different trains, making sure they were very accurate, you know, like the train stations looked exactly like that train station because mm -hmm. um, I knew New Yorkers would be able to tell, like, that's not how the <laughs> Castle Hill train looks. Because <laughs> they will let you know. Oh, they will. They definitely will. <laughs> and in the world of social media, they'll put you like, she don't look nothing like the Penn Station they or will, whatever. Yes. <laughs> they will tag me and let me know. <laughs> let me ask you this, because your background, mm -hmm. you mentioned, and you talked about this in terms of graphic novels and comics and not seeing a lot that focuses on just black women, our everyday mm -hmm. experiences. This some, I've been reading some reviews and there was a, a woman on YouTube that actually did a, she does a hair like routine type, you know, do it yourself. And she also gave a review of the book. Did you see that? I have not. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. I need to find that. <laughs> yeah, she's got your book. I'm like, okay, she's giving y'all a shout out. I love out. that. How important is a, is a, a graphic novel like this right now? I think for me, it, it hits on so many different levels of how, why it's important. Um, I think it shows that all kinds of Black stories are important, not just the ones that are about, you know, trauma or, um, you know, the hardships that we go through they are important as well mm -hmm. but we can also celebrate the love that's in our lives and friendships and things that seem mundane you know like washing our hair is actually a really big deal mm -hmm. and I think show, showing that and highlighting that um, is important and it shows people a different um, way to uh, see black stories and, and understand black stories um, and also that it's adult uh, black women. We mm -hmm. do get a lot of comics that are for um, kids, you know, middle grade, young adult. And these are, this is a little bit more, y, a little bit older than YA. You know, these are adult women doing adult women things. And we don't get a lot of that in comics in general, period, let alone black women. Absolutely. And in fact, so. <laughs> and in fact, you touch upon it when you, when I think, I think it's Devine when she's trying to get her hair cornrowed. Mm -hmm. And she she's like, look, I can't go to work with my hair natural, not yep. after what happened last time. And she says, I can't deal with this <clears throat> stuff right now. Yes. That's real. <laughs> that it's is real. real. 
experiences I've had personally, a lot of a lot of the stuff that happens um, is is based off of personal experience, not a straight up auto bio. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted there to be cursing and mature topics. And there's some, you know, mild nudity because a girl's in the shower washing her hair. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are things like that that we don't get in comics. And I want um, as a 35 year old who loves comics, um, I really want Wash Day Diaries to be uh, me and Robin. Our goal is like, if this is the first comic a black woman reads like this, that will make our day, you know, and show them that there are comics out there for them and inspire them to go looking. Um, and, and because when you walk into, you know, a comic book shop or a Barnes and Nobles, mm-hmm. you may not see stuff that features characters that look like you. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they're, you know, background characters or mm-hmm. they're written by, you know, straight white men and it just doesn't feel authentic. And so, I hope it inspires um, Black women out there to uh, see that there are comics that can be about them and to maybe write their own and create their own. Um, and that's, I, and yeah. No, <laughs> I, 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 and I also see, I can see Wash Day Diaries and animation too. Listen, exactly. <laughs> I have the same <laughs> idea. I would love for it to be animation uh, because that is definitely an area where. I don't wear black women's stories in adult animation. I don't see that, you know? Um, And so that would be a dream because I love animation as well. And so if, if anybody's listening and interested, they can hit us up. (laughs) You're, you're open for discussions and negotiations. What you're saying? What's what's the, what's the feedback been like so far about wash day diaries? It's been so amazing. Um, you know, we this is me and Robin's pandemic baby. You know, we created it during the pandemic. It was really difficult. Um, and starting to get the reviews, um, especially from a lot of women who've never read comics before and how they were like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know this is what comics could be like and mm-hmm. how relatable it was and, and how they were laughing out loud or, you know, even crying because it really takes you through all these different emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very affirming, you know, it, it felt very affirming that I am on the right path. That even though, you know, me and Robin don't see a lot of the stories that we want to see in comics um you know that that they are just because they're not there doesn't mean people don't want them and i think that that's the biggest thing that the reviews have told me is that people are thirsty for this kind these kinds of stories and if not an animation i could and i know we've had this storyline before in terms of television Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but, which has inspired a lot of, you know, yes. girlfriends, insecure. Absolutely. Living single, know, living all of single. that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's next for you? Oh, I um, well, I have my publishing company, Black Jose Press. And so um, we publish comics that are focused on um, black and brown creators, um, women and non-binary folks. So I'm working on editing some comics that are coming out in a magazine. Um, and I do have some comics that will be in that magazine. Um, I do, me and Robin have worked on a couple of projects together. And so there is another one we hope to work on in the future. Um, so we we're we're a duo that you'll definitely see again. <laughs> what are some tips you want to give to someone who says, you know what, maybe now that I've been listening to Rose talk to Jamila, maybe I'll take a stab at writing. Because, you know, writing oh, comics yeah. and, and, you know, other types of genre within literary, they're all different. What oh, want, yes. What's that? What's that? A couple golden nuggets you want folks to know. I've always yeah, been told just write, you know. <laughs> well, you know, with comics, it's it's very different. Um, and so I was self-taught as far as comics writing. Like I used to write and blog a lot before, but um, for writing for comics, um, you're writing for the artist. And so it is very different and a specific skill. And there are tons of great resources on how to write comic scripts um, there. So I would definitely, you know, go to your library or go to the bookstore and check out books about writing comic scripts so you can see, you know, the kind of information that needs to be in the different panels um, because it is definitely not the same as writing a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> definitely not the same. And so, and I would also suggest starting small, you know, Wash Day, the first um, story in Wash Day Diaries is 27 pages. Mm -hmm. And 
of course I had all these ideas of making it bigger or doing more stories, but I'm like, chill, let's start small. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, a lot easier to do and um, it can show that you can get something done. So I would definitely say, look up resources about writing comic scripts. You can see free examples of them online as well. Um, and um, if possible, see if you can hire an editor. Um, and that can also help. Yeah. All right. It's a graphic novel titled Wash Day Diaries by Jamila Rosser and Robin Smith. I've been in conversation with Jamila. Best of luck and continued success. I love this copy. It's all mine. Usually I give them away. I'm not giving this one away. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank bro. you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And again, congratulations. Wash Day Diaries, a graphic novel Telling the lives of four black women living in the Bronx, it has already nabbed one pretty good award, an Alex Award, and it's a finalist in the L.A. Times Book Prize. So, folks, don't give up on your dreams. You never know. And it's okay to use a fun Kickstarter or whatever, GoFundMe, whatever, to get your project launched. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith. Our engineer is Soya Vanderworth. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org, as you always love to do. And some of y'all, I guess you're up at 2 and 3 in the morning, but that's okay. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org. Hey y'all, I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E.